about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. My name's Thomas. Um, got two passages today. First from Joel and the second from Romans. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And then our second reading is from Romans. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in the carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is James, and let me extend a warm welcome to you if you are new or visiting. And I am a student minister here. Before we get to continuing our series in Romans, I just want to report one of the things I get the great privilege of being a part of is our food ministry, a weekly food ministry down at our Erskineville site. And people have continued to come along. Uh, Each week we have somewhere between uh, 28 to 35 people from the local community who come along and uh, we give out free food, um, bread, we give out, sometimes there's toothpaste and, and other things, but uh, it's, a, it's a ministry that continues to serve our local area. But we do need more people. And so I just want to throw out there, if, if, if you know that you're available, if you know that you could even give uh, one Thursday a month, um, or one Wednesday afternoon, it would really help us as we seek to continue this ministry. Um, but I know that's not everyone, I just want to throw that out there and see if uh, anyone would be interested in participating. If so, please have a chat with me, uh, or you can chat with one of the other uh, ministers here. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that once again we can dive into the book of Romans. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you'd bring us understanding and transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had a nickname before. Some of us here might still have our nickname in an old email address that we use that we don't like to talk about. 
Uh, yes, we just had a laugh down here. I'd love to hear it later. Uh, one of my friend's favorite ones is uh, cricketlegend222 at gmail.com. Um, so, you know, Cricket Legend was his nickname. Anyway, um, but I ha I've had many nicknames in my lifetime, each with their own story. So, um, you know, you can ask me about it afterwards if you want, but I've had Chenigan, I've had Mr. Harold, I've had Cabbage, Jimbo, no surprises there. Uh, I've had a number of them, but when I was five, my dad gave me a nickname, and the nickname was Tomorrow. Uh, the reason is, every time he wanted to ask me to do something that I didn't want to do, I'd say, Tomorrow. Uh, James, clean up these toys. Tomorrow. James, give Papa a, a hug. Tomorrow. Uh, in fact, um, I wonder if you know, some of us here who are a bit older than five years old Wish we could do the same thing, you know, being asked to do something tomorrow. In fact, the next time you're in a small group and you have to play those, you know, wonderful icebreaker games, uh, if you could have one superhero power, what would it be? Why not throw out there, I wish I had the power of tomorrow. Well, the New Testament in the Christian Bible is, is very future-focused. It's one of the striking things about the New Testament. Uh, as you read the New Testament, you can't help but feel like your gaze is being directed towards tomorrow and beyond tomorrow, to, to eternity, in fact. I mean, after all, the one true living God is, is going to bring those who trust in Jesus into the new creation, a glorious future, a time and a place where there will no longer be any death or mourning or tears or pain. There's this certain future that awaits those who have called on the name of the Lord. But it's here that we can run to, into a bit of a problem, because in light of that certain future, well, what am I meant to be doing right now? What is it that I'm meant to be focusing on? I mean, becoming a Christian is a wonderful joy, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that your identity is secure, knowing that you have a heavenly Father who loves you and who will never let you go. And that's great. But how does that help me when I want to ask this question, okay, well, what does that mean for me now? What am I meant to be doing right now? And we don't come to this question on, well, it's not neutral territory. We live in a time and a society and an area where there are lots of opinions. Build your property portfolio as soon as you can, or you're going to disadvantage yourself for the future. Try to get your first home as soon as possible, because that is way way more important than continuing to rent. Uh, work really hard at binging that TV show that you're behind on, watching that movie that's the next in the saga, going on that holiday, making up for lost time because of COVID, because if you don't, then you're disadvantaging yourself in the future. You're not going to be able to participate in those conversations when your friends get together. You're not going to be able to, to, to know what's happening when you're making all those references, you're not going to know or feel like you have anything worth sharing. Or, you know what? If you haven't gotten a promotion in the first 9 to 12 months of your job, start thinking about leaving because you are too early in your career to settle for anything. If you don't do that now, you may disadvantage yourself in the future. Christians can have their own maneuver when it comes to this. You know, in light of that future, what should we do right now? The only thing that matters is evangelism. 
Evangelism is the only thing that really matters. God doesn't care about anything else. Evangelism, telling your friends about Jesus, is the most important thing. But then we run into a problem as well because there are lots of activities that Christians do every day that aren't directly sharing Jesus with others. And so what this can end up producing is just guilt, almost a a malaise whenever the Christian pastor or teacher gets up and says, and so this is why you tell your friends about Jesus. You go, okay, I've heard this before. Well, what does the Bible actually teach us about what we're meant to be doing today? How are we meant to live in the now? And to answer that question, we're going to come to today's passage here in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. This, this passage written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see three answers, three things that we're meant to do right now. And they're wake up, put aside, and put on. Wake up, put aside, and put on. So come with me to point one. Point one, wake up. And here we're focusing on verses 11 to the first half of 12. And this is going to be our longest point. Read with me from verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. In this passage, Paul is pointing us to see something about the present time, where he was situated in history. You see, when Paul wrote this, uh, maybe in the 60s AD, he was living on the other side of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who had been bodily raised in 30 AD, never to die again, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, raised forever, ushered in what's known as the last days. You see, from the time of his resurrection and his return to heaven to Paul's time, he knew, Paul knew that he was living in what's known as the last days. The last days are the time between Jesus' resurrection and his eventual return back to earth because Jesus will return again. You see this in verse 12, don't you? In verse 12, Paul says that the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Because there is a day that is coming in history, a final day, a momentous day, a decisive day of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, when he will visibly return to earth. I mean, we saw that prophesied there in in the reading in Joel chapter 2, didn't we? That this day of the Lord is coming. And when that day comes, there will be a final judgment. You see, here in 2022, hundreds of years after Paul wrote this, so much has happened in history. Uh, Empires have fallen and risen. We've had lots of inventions. We've had so many different things happen. And yet, because we're still between the resurrection and the return of Jesus, it hasn't happened yet, our present time here in 2022 is exactly the same present time as Paul was living in. From God's perspective, we are living in the last days. This is a really important point to grasp. You see, from God's perspective, even though so much has happened, the climax of history has already occurred. In the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was the climax of history. And everything since then has just been the final chapter before Jesus returns. The grand finale is coming. 
And just listen to how Paul described a bit of what that grand finale will involve, this this final day of the Lord. Um, He does it a bit earlier in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, up on the screen here. Let me read it. Paul writes, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. The future day of the Lord Jesus, his return, it will be a day of judgment. Because you see, not everyone will be given the delight and joy of enjoying the new creation. Not everyone's going to get there. There is a final judgment coming, and for some, those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, they will be saved through that final judgment. That's what Paul means when he says that our salvation is nearer, because there is a salvation coming when Jesus returns for God's people. You see that there in verse 11, right? Romans 13, verse 11, our salvation. He describes that. He describes the final day as our salvation. But for others, God's righteous judgment will be revealed, and all evil, injustice, abuse, and selfishness will face the fires of God's righteous wrath. Here in Romans 13, Paul is telling them to understand something about the present time, to think differently about our place in history and the age. Because Jesus is returning. Judgment is coming. And so that means something. You see, this judgment is going to be according to what we do and what what our lives are given towards. And so in verse 11, he calls on his readers and listeners to wake up. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. It's really important for us to see here. Paul's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians. Wake up! Because I take it, using the language of 2 Peter chapter 1, it is possible to be a Christian, someone who is saved, and yet to be unproductive and ineffective. It is possible to be someone who has called on the name of the Lord, received the mercy of God, and to be asleep at the wheel spiritually. It's to these people that Paul says, wake up. You see, throughout history, the language of waking up has been used by lots of people to describe some sort of an intellectual uh, realization that that something was wrong, that they they weren't doing the right thing, that that eyes needed to be opened to something. Uh, The philosopher Immanuel Kant wrote about being awoken from his intellectual dogmatic slumber as he was reading David Hume and went, I think this guy's wrong. I mean, he said it in German though, right? He was awoken from his dogmatic slumber. The term woke in our more modern times originally meant for black Americans a state of being socially conscious, recognizing that that in society and in our practices and in our relationships, there are things that you need to be aware of. And that term has now been appropriated to mean a particular kind of social activism associated with the political left. Brothers and sisters, if I can put it 
the way Paul might say it if he was here nowadays, get woke, because it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up to the reality of the present time we live in. Your life, your time, our time, are but a footnote in God's unfolding final chapter in history. Because Jesus is returning. This time is, pre- uh, this time is precious. Every day is a gift. Our days are numbered. He could return at any moment. Paul said in his own day that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Hundreds of years later, we're even closer than he was. Jesus could return at any moment. Grasp this, and it will change your life. And with this passage, the reason Paul is telling the Romans this is there at the start of verse 11. Take a look at verse 11, the very first three words. And do this. See, over the last few weeks, we've been in Romans chapters 12 to 13, haven't we? And, and we've seen so many things. We've, we've seen the call to, to give your life as a living sacrifice to God. We've seen the call to, to see every member of the body of Christ as performing a function. We, we can serve one another. We've seen the call to care for each other and to not take revenge. We've been reminded of the importance of submitting to the authorities over us. And last week, we saw that we're to fulfill the law by loving each other. Paul is saying, do this, all of this, because of the day that is coming. Right now, in this present time, do this. He's rounding out this section by saying all of this. Why does all of this matter? It's because of the present time we live in. Give your life to this and do this. Our time is limited. Our days are numbered. Our our present time is so precious. That's why we do these things. That's why we give ourselves to these things. Brothers and sisters, get woke for Jesus. Live for Jesus. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. There is a lot to do. Thinking about serving one another as a church, loving one another, being peacemakers who don't take revenge, seeking to mend broken relationships where possible, doing your due diligence to submit to your teachers or your lecturers or your bosses or your managers or your local authorities, seeking to love those who are in need, to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. There are things to do because of the present time we live in. Not tomorrow, not eventually. Jesus is returning soon. Do this today understanding the present time. That's what it means to wake up. That's point one. Come with me to point two. Point two is put aside, and we're focusing on verses 12 to 13. You know, this week as I was preparing, I was struck, I was, I was looking in the New Testament and, and just looking at all the different passages that reference Jesus' return and, and the exhortations that come with it. And I was really surprised There are so many passages in the New Testament that talk about Jesus returning soon, and it comes with an exhortation. But the vast majority of them were about being godly. I counted at least 10 that were about being godly in light of Jesus' incoming return. I found two about evangelism. Now, get, get me, hear me very clearly here. We are to, to have a heart for the lost to hold out the hope of the gospel where possible. 
We want to see people saved and to embrace and be captivated by the love of Christ. But the New Testament emphasizes more chiefly that in light of Jesus' imminent return, be formed morally, shaped morally, changed morally to be a godly person. And that's what Paul thinks here. Read with me from the middle of verse 12. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. You know, when I get up in the morning to go to more theological college, just down the road, it's, often it's still dark. I'm not living here in, in Newtown yet, so it takes a while to travel. And when I get up, it's still dark, but just because it's dark doesn't mean I don't start getting ready because it's not going to stay dark for long. And so what I do is I, I, I take off my pajamas and I put on my clothes for the day. I mean, it would be inappropriate for me to, to, to wear my pajamas to, to college, not the least of which for the reason that I would be really cold. But they'd be going, James, you're not dressed for college. Well, Paul is using a similar kind of imagery here with this idea of night and day. He's saying, in light of the night becoming the day soon, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so here in these verses, Paul calls on the Christians to change. Because being a Christian is not about being perfect. You see, a Christian is someone who is already forgiven, having called on the name of the Lord despite present sin. A Christian is someone who is progressively putting sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit, relying on God's help. The Christian life is grace from start to finish. No, a Christian isn't perfect. A Christian is progressing. And in Romans 13, Paul lists three groups of sins. Drunkenness and carousing, sexual immorality and debauchery, and dissension and jealousy. Because of time, I'm only going to focus on the first one in some depth. But let me just say in passing that I think it's very striking here that, that Paul speaks about and lists dissension and jealousy in the same list as drunkenness and debauchery and sexual morality and, and drunkenness and carousing, sexual morality and debauchery. You know what I meant. Because in a real sense... They are terribly just as bad. Even though we might think jealousy, that's not that big of a deal. For Paul, he saw the truth that all of these things dishonor God. Disunity and jealousy, they, they wreck communities. They wreck families. They wreck churches. Some of us know that all too well. But drunkenness and carousing. What's in view here is being intoxicated somehow and having planned to do so. Carousing means deliberately choosing to fill yourself up to drunkenness with a group or in the presence of food. And I think this includes alcohol, but it could also refer to recreational drug use. And with alcohol, it's not saying that you can't drink alcohol. Rather, getting drunk is the issue. You see, this is almost taboo to talk about in our Australian culture culture where we have Friday night drinks, and if you don't participate, you're the party pooper, where it's acceptable to just have one more. 
But you see, in light of Jesus' return, which could happen at any moment, Paul wants Christians to be sober-minded, to be alert, to be ready. It's not as if absolutely every moment of your life needs to be productive, as if you're, you're producing something tangibly useful. But the idea is this. In drunkenness, when you're not in control, you are cut off from being able to make deliberate, thoughtful choices. You wound your agency to love and serve others, at least to choose to love and serve others. You damage your ability to think straight. I mean, I have enough issues with trying to resist sin when I'm sober. Think about how much you're inhibited when you're drunk. And on top of that, you hurt your ability to remember tomorrow. To remember is a key aspect of what it means to grow and learn. To remember is to invite learning. When we forget what we've done, when we forget the wrongs we've wrought, we open up the possibility that we will repeat the mistakes of the past. Or just throw our hands up and say, sorry, I don't remember that. I absolve myself of all responsibility. So much violence, so much hurt, so many broken promises, so much permanent damage to families and friends and ourselves have been wrought in the name of, oh, why not, just one more. Without thinking about what fun really means in this present time. Of not thinking soberly about the present and certainly not thinking about tomorrow. Make no mistake, these are deeds of darkness. But the most important reason they're dark isn't because of those horizontal reasons, even though they are bad. It's because of the vertical reason that it dishonors God. He has called us to be his own, even if these things are socially acceptable, in fact, championed by our society. Paul says, put them aside. Take them off. It needs to be said that God has given us many tools to help in the task of fighting sin and putting it to death. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. He's given us prayer. And God has also given us the common grace gifts of living in a world where we have therapy and professionals who can engage with our embodied practices and habits and addictions. Because the truth is that if you do struggle in this way, your best efforts up to this point have been perfectly calibrated to get you to this point. And if you're still struggling with it, or perhaps not struggling at all, nothing you've done so far has worked. And if you keep trying to do it, it won't work. We can receive the good gifts that God has given us, his word, his people, prayer, and the common grace gifts of science in the world to try and put sin to death, to take off and put aside the deeds of darkness because they are not fitting in light of the present time. Niak, how are we as a church going to support brothers and sisters when they bring up that they're struggling with particular things? 
Can I invite us to be gracious, ready to listen, ready to pray, ready to support as co-strugglers because we all have work to do in putting to death the deeds of darkness. Take seriously the call to put it aside because drunkenness and carousing are deeds of darkness. And indeed, all deeds of darkness like sexual immorality and debauchery, dissension and jealousy, they come from a lack of understanding about the present time. Because when we commit deeds of darkness, what you're saying with your body, what you're saying with your mind, what you're saying with your hands and your feet, you're saying, I don't really believe that there's a final judgment coming where all of my works will be on display before the risen Lord Jesus. You're saying, I don't really think that what I do right now matters. I don't need to think about it. As if right now doesn't count for that much in the grand scheme of things. But the truth is that right now counts forever. The time that you are given is a gift, an opportunity, a chance, a privilege to live as a beacon in this world to the heavens and say that my life, my hands, my feet, my mind... The orientation of my trajectory has been captivated in the love and service of another. One who gave himself for me. One who who loves me. One who is with me. One who cherishes me. I live for someone greater. It's a call. It's a task. It's an invitation to live in light of eternity. Because right now counts forever. And indeed, that brings us to point three. Put on. And here we're looking at verse 14. Read verse 14 with me. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What Paul called the armor of light in verse 12, he clarifies as putting on the very Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Lord who was raised from the dead, which means to to thoughtfully, prayerfully, deliberately put on the very character of Jesus himself. Like a person getting up in the morning, every morning, taking off their pajamas, putting on their clothes, that's what we're meant to be doing. Not tomorrow, not when I have some more headspace, but today. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let your character and priorities be shaped by Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and where we are going with him. Attacks and temptations will come as they come every day, but put on Jesus deliberately, thoughtfully, prayerfully, and it will be like armor, the armor of the light of God himself. This today can be the start of a process of thinking and chatting and deliberating and conversing with one another, with trusted people about about what this will mean for for our work, our studies, our relationships, our finances, a calendar, what we choose to say yes to, what we choose to say no to, how we think about what we consume, be it physically, 
be it through media, how it changes everything. Today, will you wake up to the present time and act in light of the approaching day of Jesus' return? Today, will you put aside the deeds of darkness? Will you commit to doing so? Today, will you commit to putting on the Lord Jesus and letting your character and convictions be shaped by him? This passage is a summons to a radical shift in your priorities in the present because of your perspective about the future. You know, very much, your vision of the future determines how you live in the now. God summons you today to be diligent and thoughtful about your present because of what you know about the future. The call to be a Christian is not a call to be idle, just chugging along with life because you've got insurance at the end, doing everything else that people around you are doing, and when you mess up every now and then in a big way that deserves God's forgiveness, then you'll go for the insurance. No. God summons you to a life that every moment is transformed and formed for his son, Jesus Christ. An invitation to live in light of eternity. So let's get on with it. There's good work to do. As a church family, individually, will, you, will we give our lives as daily sacrifices for the Lord? Will we serve one another? Will we care for each other? Will we be peacemakers, not revenge takers? Will we be model citizens and workers and students? Will we love? And in light of today's passage, will we put to death the deeds of darkness, embodying Jesus Christ in all of our life as we live in light of Jesus' return? What am I meant to be doing right now? Do this. The day is almost here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And Father, we pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. May your Holy Spirit bring transformation in our lives that we would wake up and live for you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.